Assalamualaikum, everyone. Uh, if you've just joined us, uh, this is the Umenta talk show brought to you by Umoja Outreach Foundation. Uh, today's show is brought to you in courtesy of Maxwell Medical, uh, that is a sports medicine, physical therapy, and chiropractic care um, service in the, in the New York City area. In last week's show, we had a brother-sister that both came from, you know, in some ways, the medical field. In this week's show, we're shifting gears. We have two excellent um, panelists that will be joining us. You know, first off will be Brother Asad Raza, who is a biomedical engineer. And later in the show will be Brother, Brother Ali Jawad Hashem, who is an actuary. So we, we, we'll get right into it. Brother Asad, Assalamualaikum. Uh, Walaikum Assalam, Mustafa. Thank you for having me on the show and greetings to all the listeners. Yeah, so thanks a lot, uh, Asad, for joining us. Um, so, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, to get us kind of warmed up? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, you introduced me with the name. So I am uh, an engineer by education. Uh, I have a bachelor's and master's in biomedical engineering from Purdue University. Uh, and I started my career as an engineer. Uh, I started in research and development. Uh, that was sort of the, the passion at that time and sort of the ideal job as you come out of engineering school. Um, and uh, sort of one thing led to another, and I realized probably not the right uh, sort of a fit or not the passion where I wanted to be in healthcare. Um, and so currently I work as a senior manager as business innovation for healthcare for Medtronic, which is known as a medical device and healthcare company. Been with them for six years and uh, my career path uh, has led me to where I am today. Uh, developing solutions to alleviate uh, healthcare burden, not only for patients, but also for providers, doctors and nurses both. That's very interesting. So, I mean, uh, you know, um, it, you know, in your journey, for instance, were there, was there a time you kind of really understood that this is what you wanted to do? Or tell us how you got there in terms of your history or your, your journey. Uh, great question. So, uh, just, just share a little bit of family history. I've always been in healthcare. My, my dad's a doctor, and uh, he gave up a booming career in, in, uh, in the medical field to do some philanthropic work in East Africa. And uh, he went around to various small towns and established clinics and hospitals, and I was always by his side, and he would either challenge me to go set up his pharmacy, and I was the guinea pig to test a whole bunch of uh, devices, blood pressure cuff, thermometers, ECGs, just name it. And uh, I didn't realize that's when the passion actually started sort of coming together for healthcare. And uh, my dad's always been on the front lines and uh, I was with him for the most part. And it was, it was just an exhilarating experience. So once I got my degree and I was in research and development, uh, designing pharmaceutical and medical device related products, uh, an ideal job once you come out of engineering school uh, very quickly realized that I was not on the front line. It was, uh, you know, a role that sort of kept me on the back seat. And while the products were, of course, going into the market, you never saw how the impact truly really came together. Uh, and so I, I followed that passion and, you know, it, it all came, the past and the present came together and said, you need to be where, where you know, you feel the impact and uh, you're emotionally driven to do that. Uh, so I went into healthcare consulting, then worked for a, a healthcare system, IU Health specifically. Uh, and uh, that allowed me to learn a little bit more about how the, the 
U.S. healthcare landscape works altogether. Uh, what do patients experience? What do doctors experience? And uh, just that passion grew as recognizing that there's so much uh, that can be done to improve what we have today in U.S. And again, this was years ago, and we still have a long way to go uh, with a lot of these technologies and solutions coming out. Um, and so I found my way to Medtronic finally, where, you know, the executive team has this top line vision of improving healthcare across the United States and also globally. So it really helped me uh, sort of make that decision and get there. And now where I am, where I see the impact on the front lines, it just motivates me even more to be there. Uh, so I followed that that problem that I had set in my mind that I want to help people and uh, improve healthcare, uh, not as a doctor, because my dad always said, Hey, you know, if you become a doctor, I'm not going to be your friend. It takes a, a <laughs> toll on your, on your mind and your body and your family. So he was never in support of that, uh, but find another way of doing it. And I believe now where I am, I found that way to do it. It's interesting, right? I mean, uh, you developed a passion at a very young age. You kind of stuck with your passion. I mean, obviously, when someone talks about healthcare, you know, straight away they come, they go to medicine and you know different realms of medicine. But you kind of really stuck to it um, and got, you know got there and actually be able to 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 do a service. So, if you were to describe exactly what you do, right? So, I mean, you describe about solutions and giving solutions to the you know public. Um, but if you were to describe it in a nutshell, in a layman's term, how would you best describe it? Uh, so in, in layman's term, I, I would simply put that my team and I, we walk into healthcare systems, uh, physician offices, we understand what their pain points are uh, at a patient level, at their working level, and we try to understand those gaps that they have, whether it be technological, whether it be process-driven, uh, or whether it be a need for a solution. And try to find a way to fill that gap with either an existing solution that exi that, that is out there or, or develop a new one. Uh, so that's in a nutshell that I, that what I do day in, day out. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty interesting. And in today, in today's world, right. I mean, this kind of, um, you know, identifying gaps where there are a lot, you know, a lot of big industries have done that and filled it. So you seem to have been able to do that um, in something that you really are passionate about. Um, so in terms of, you know, the timing, you know, sometimes things just fall into place. They just fall into the place in terms of the career choice. Sometimes it just falls into place in terms of timing. In what you do, considering where we are in the marketplace, do you think that that kind of really fell into it in terms of your passion and the, the timing at which you were looking for something? I would say so. I think it was I got very lucky with with how the the timing and, and everything came together um, if you if you look at the current healthcare trend uh, more and more people are taking ownership of their health um, and if you sort of even look at your own smartphone I'm sure you have an activity tracker on it now and you track steps on a daily basis most folks have started wearing an Apple watch or some form of a device that allows them to track their what their body is doing. So I think the timing fell together really well because it's a shift in healthcare where previously you had to go to a doctor to understand what was going on with your body. And a doctor would have to drive you to make those healthy choices. 
and you were not being proactive about it. And you look at the landscape now in healthcare, you have people who are taking ownership for their own health because they realize that what I do impacts me and the people around me. Um, and then, and recognizing that trend, of course, there are a lot of different companies that are in it to make money and they look at these consumer trends on a daily basis. And, and they realize that you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse to help these patients get to where they want to go or get the consumer where they want to go. Um, and so corporate-wise, it all fell together well. You know, Medtronic was looking for uh, to enter in that space when I was sort of like trying to build more, work more towards my passion. And then the consumer industry was shifting. So I, I can say I got lucky, uh, but now you can truly see the trend coming together and uh, more and more consumers are actively engaging in what in taking ownership of their health. Yeah, thanks for that. And we'll get into a little bit more detail about, um, you know, what you do, et cetera, in a little bit later in the show as well. But if I wanted to take a step back now, right, and, um, you know, we have, we have listeners of all ages from, from all parts of the world. So if someone, if the, the best way to describe the question is, if someone wanted to be you, you know, how would they go about being you? Or how do they go about becoming what you have become in terms of your career choice? It's it's a it's a very good question and um, and what I've learned uh, thus far and place where I've gotten is that there's so many different ways to to get to where I am and you know of course I can be biased and provide you know this is the path that I followed and I, I recommend people taking it um, but it's not limited to this right so you know as listeners are listening think about there are just a whole host of combinations that can come together and you can get here. Uh, but if I was to recommend people oh, to younger folks that are sort of coming together and trying to develop these career plans and and paths for themselves, uh, one thing that tremendously helped me was engineering. Uh, engineering, you know, you can get into healthcare and again, as I said, many different shapes or forms, uh, different experiences, different education levels. Engineering allowed gave me the tools, uh, analytical thinking, problem solving skills, uh, think outside the box. Uh, and that really allowed me to uh, perform at the level that I'm at right now. So I'm, I'm biased towards that. And it could be any type of engineering, mechanical, electrical. I, I, pay, I picked biomedical engineering because it was closest to healthcare uh, at that time. And now they have a lot more of these uh, sort of healthcare related degrees out there. So I would highly recommend people taking that sort of an approach uh, and getting those tools uh, because sometimes you need to think outside the box. Uh, and in the industry that I'm in, there are no definitive answers. Uh, so you need to find the answer. And then as you apply, you learn from mistakes, whether it's a right or a wrong answer. And, and then once you, of course, get the education, uh, find a way to apply it and get the experience behind it. And it's not going to come together day one. Uh, you know, in some very rare scenarios, it does come together. Uh, but for the most part, it takes a little bit of time, more experience, you working in a lot of different settings uh, to really uh, find that right fit, whether it be in the same company or another company as you evolve in your career. And I believe that if you were to take the right steps, you will get there. So, so you, um, you have a bachelor's degree and as well as a master's degree. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, is there... You know, I mean, in, in today's world, everyone just keeps on getting letters against their name. 
Um, and at some point, you kind of decide whether it's really um, fit for purpose or really where you're paying just for the letters or actually getting the right job. In most cases, it probably will be. But in your case, if you can describe, would a bachelor's just do or would you need a master's for something like this? So I think the, the, the variable between bachelor's and master's is what, le- what entry level you come into uh, when you do get a job eventually. So I think where I am right now, uh, a bachelor's would have sufficed for me. Uh, it, uh, what do you call, I, I would have had to, again, probably explore a few other options before I got to where I am. So the path wouldn't have been as fast as, uh, as it has been. Uh, um, the mas- having a master's degree really paved the way and opened those bigger doors, right? People look at you with a different, different lens. They look at you as an expert in, in what you do. Uh, and bachelor's is almost like you are a jack of all trades. Uh, that's what most bachelors will give you. But if you want to specialize, you have to get a master's. Uh, so getting there with a bachelor's, absolutely, you can. You're not, you should not tie yourself down to getting those letters behind you. And if a job that you feel uh, is the right fit presents itself after a bachelor's, I highly recommend folks that are just starting their careers to take it and, and leverage that experience to get to that place where they want to be. Um, but if, if it doesn't come together, then master's might be a better choice. And, and maybe then the doors will open uh, slightly wider for you. Yeah, no, that's very good to hear, right? Because, you know, for our listeners, sometimes you get very conflicting, uh, you know, so, uh, sound bites from different people and it confuse, it's confusing, right? So it's very good to hear. Um, so why don't we get back into a little bit more about, you know, what you do, right? So, you know, um, in terms of, you know, you talked a little bit about your, uh, what you do, you know, trying to s- solve problems, etc. But if you were to uh, find one cool project that really stands out, you know, that you would want to describe, um, if you can just tell our listeners what that would be, and maybe give a little bit more information about it. Um, again, a great question. You guys are bringing all the big guns today, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you call, uh, you know, Coolness can be rated in a lot of different different factors, you know, success of the project and uh, impact. So uh, I'll share this project because it's it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and uh, I, I'm hoping that listeners will realize once I complete my story that, you know, why I feel this way. Uh, I, a year and a half ago, launched a solution for chronic disease management. Uh, and uh, basically the premise of the solution was we provided a mobile app uh, for a patient uh, with a chronic disease. And again, for privacy reasons, I can't name the solution or the patients that this was given to. Uh, but we launched a solution in the market space, provided uh, a mobile app to the patients and connected them with a personal health coach who was a clinical expert and so that they would monitor their activities. They would be able to track, communicate with them via chat, text message, uh, and really be able to understand how they can manage their health better. And that information, once the coach captures it, they would provide guidance to these patients on how well they can execute on their health. Uh, so for example, hey, I'm going to uh, a, a burger place uh, and uh, I, I have diabetes. And uh, I've previously not felt very good after eating a double cheeseburger. So the coach would you know, sort of educate them that, hey, a double cheeseburger has a lot more carbs involved, which can directly impact your blood glucose level. So just consider take eating a, a single uh, 
cheeseburger and maybe that would uh, you'll feel more comfortable with that and share with us how you felt after that uh, so it it was more of like a two-way communication and sort of adapting to what the needs of the patient was more personalized uh, and then that information would be channeled to the provider where you know when a patient goes to visit them every a patient with chronic disease would visit a doctor every 30 every 60 or 90 days so they get to get that feedback. The provider sees that information and sees how they're doing. So it fills that gap where you don't see your provider with that information. So it was a very cool project and we had great clinical success with it. Uh, we saw tremendous uh, clinical metrics improvement for all the patients that came on this uh, solution. And again, uh, we got a lot of appreciation from various different stakeholders. Uh, but what stood out for me uh, as this sort of solution evolved and, the, and I went on this journey with the, the internal team and the patients themselves. I was in the inner room interviewing one of the patients who had been on the program and uh, just wanted to understand how her experience was in, as part of the program and what she took away from it. And so she started sharing her story with, with, with me and the team that, you know, before I came on the program, I was struggling with uh, severe diabetes. I had really elevated uh, A1C uh, which is a gold metrics for diabetes. And uh, I have a daughter and I've had multiple miscarriages uh, because of my diabetes. And the doctor informed me that if I continued on with my diabetes the way it is, uh, I will not be able to conceive anymore and, uh, and that it's going to be really risky for my life uh, and to the degree that I could die. And she opened up about that and said, this program has truly been a blessing for me. Uh, I was on this program. The coach really helped me manage my diabetes, my chronic disease better. And uh, she had just, the interview was a couple of days after a provider visit. And she'd been on the program for eight months. Uh, and she shared with us that, hey, the doctor said, hey, your diabetes is looking great. You have gotten things in control. And I think you guys can start trying now and you could become a mother again and it would be a low risk pregnancy. Uh, that was a heartwarming mo moment for me. I, I was inspired by that story. And uh, stories like that motivate me every single day to get out of bed and do work that I do. Uh, so from a coolness factor, that's what made the difference. And, uh, and that's why I want to be on the front lines learning what the patients are experiencing firsthand. No, that's really that's a really good story, Asad. And, I mean, anyone that has a burger joint, their stock just went down. But apart from... <laughs> Um, you know, I think it's really interesting, right? How you through through a different, you know, it's almost like in this app world, you almost have someone at the bedside, um, but only if you build the right type of apps or if you really try and target the problem. So in this particular case, you're going back to how you started the conversation is that you found a problem and you actually try and went after a solution. And in this case, you actually see the solution come to life. Yeah, that must be very heartwarming. And it was, and, it, and it, that was just one story. I, I interviewed a dozen patients who shared with me everything from how they were able to eat uh, the cake at their daughter's wedding to how they were able to run a, a, a marathon. It, it was just, just across the board heartwarming to realize how much impact a, a solution can make uh, if, if positioned the right way for in the right setting. So it, it tremendously was. So I'm going to shift it up a little bit now. Um, so this was a very heartwarming moment, but in a job setting, there are also a lot of challenges in a day-to-day -day that you may face. Um, if you were to describe in terms of, you know, one of the most challenging parts you've had in your career, um, what would that be? 
in, in, in maybe you can kind of relate it to this or the journey as well. You can even go backwards, but what would that be? So from, are you referencing in a career, career form or like yeah, I think, yeah, maybe more specific to biomedical engineering or the job you do, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think whatever, you know, having an impact on patient's life or building, uh, trying to solve problems, you can't always solve all the problems, right? You, some problems you can't really solve. But in your case, it, has there been a very challenging project or a challenging situation that has come up in, in your, as far as your career goes um, that you maybe wanted to describe? Yeah, I, you know, that it, it's filled with challenges, right? When you come into the work setting or when you're sort of getting the education, there are always challenges across the board. And I've, I've had my fair share uh, with, you know, not, not all stories are success stories, right? You, you learn from your failures. So I, I remember very clearly that, you know, when I first um, started my journey in, in the biomedical engineering field, and as I mentioned that I was shifting my careers, career focus from more of a research development to this um, healthcare solution space, you know, solution development and strategy space, working for a hospital and, you know, seeing the, the landscape itself on how things are, are designed, uh, I think was a true challenge. You almost have to adapt to it. But uh, I remember walking into the facility and talking to doctors and, most people, you know, having the mindset of, yeah, the patient is there and, you know, all we care about is them coming in and getting the reimbursement, getting the money from them. Uh, and so we want solutions that can really help us improve the bottom line for the business. It's a challenging scenario because you have a different mindset in that space. It goes against your sort of the passion or the principles that you have to serve patients directly. So it was it was a tremendous challenge for me so to understand that there are business needs as well uh, that are, are critical uh, and uh, will always come into factor as you tend to do certain uh, elements in your job and and most of the time they supersede what what happens at the end of the day. So whether it's you're designing a solution and if the business is not bought into it, whether it be hey there we don't make as much money while the impact is great, we don't see how you can commercialize that. Uh, it can be very tricky and not every idea is, is taken with that, uh, you know, welcoming uh, approach. Uh, it's scrutinized most of the time and sometimes even shut down. So I've had a lot of those moments where, you know, I think I've had cool ideas uh, and I've said, hey, let's go after this. This is tremendously going to improve the life of the folks that are walking into our doors. And it's been shut down. Hey, it, it doesn't impact the bottom line or doesn't give us a profitability that we look for. So, and personally, that was a huge challenge for me because it went against my passion. Uh, but uh, I can say that I've adapted. I've understood that it, there is that element of business as well in, in when you're working and that you have to find that happy balance between both uh, on what you want to accomplish and versus what the business or your, your job requires. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, so thanks a lot. Um, so if, any, if there's anyone out there listening, if you have any questions, you can always put it into the comment section uh, on the YouTube channel. So, you know, continuing on, um, you're on the Umentor talk show. Uh, we have Brother Asad Raza, who's a biomedical engineer uh, with us. And later on on the show, we'll have Brother Ali Jawad Hashem that will join us. So, Asad, a couple more questions for you. Um, in terms of, you know, if you were to have one key message for the next generation or whoever is listening out there 
what would that be to inspire them? Um, if, if, if we had to narrow it down to one message, I would tell uh, the next generation or the current generation that have probably not realized this, that it is that career paths are not a sprint. They're a marathon. And uh, that I, I for, from personal experience, I, I went to college thinking, hey, I'm going to get this great education. I'm going to come out and it's all going to be, uh, you know, the Cinderella story. Uh, you're going to have fairy tale endings, uh, but it doesn't happen that way. Uh, it, the reality kicks in and it's a marathon with work coming into place, family coming together. So uh, I, I really tell people to think about in the, the next generation to think about what they truly want to do in life. Uh, ask themselves why they want to do it uh, because that's critical. And I've asked this question of a lot of different folks who are, have been in, this, in their career for a very long time. Uh, and sometimes they fail to answer why they do what they do. So find an answer. Don't just say, hey, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer because my parents want me to be or because I'm going to make a million dollars a year, which is a very good excuse, by the way. A million dollars a year is a good excuse to have. But why do you want to do it? Uh, I think and, and figure out how you're going to run the marathon because you have to be strategic with it. And, and stay the course, uh, because if you stay the course, you're going to have your great results. Uh, and that, that's all I would want to tell to the listeners in the next generation. Yeah, thanks, Asad. Um, so, um, you know, it's, you know when, we, when we actually are in, the, in our professions, oftentimes, you know, at the back of us, you know, we are Muslims and Islam teaches us a lot. In terms of your career and what you do, how has Islam impacted your road to success? I think Islam has been foundationally a part of who I am today and where I, where I have been. Uh, I, I believe Islam provides uh, us with a set of principles that allows us to navigate through situations and make decisions. Uh, and I, I believe the right ones. Um, uh, I came to U.S. personally uh, from Tanzania, a very small town. That's where my family lives today. Uh, and uh, coming to U.S. was eye-opening. Uh, I think we're all aware that the 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 exposure here is unlike any other. And uh, you you'll come across a lot of different things. And in those moments. Uh, Islam was my guardian away from home. Uh, when you're young, you have parents to, to tell you, don't touch the, the hot stuff, you're going to get burned. Or you're gonna, they're going to tell you, don't jump, you're going to get hurt. Uh, and Islam was that guardian for me. And I, I truly take it, a lot of pride in what our religion has given us. Uh, I, I personally do not claim to be uh, a, 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 the best of Muslims. I'm, I try every day to do the basics. Uh, so I'm not going to make any of those claims, uh, but I think the basics have helped me tremendously. And when I say the basics is, you know, don't hurt uh, others, respect yourself, respect your family and respect everyone around you. Don't lie, don't cheat, be ethical. Uh, and just some of those basics have, you know, have helped me get to where I am. And um, I, I really recommend everyone who's listening to, to, to look at, you know, what those principles are. And you might not be able to execute all of them, 
but maybe a subset that makes you a better person, not only for yourself, but for others around you. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I mean, I think, you know, the basics kind of give a very lasting impression. There is a question actually that came in from uh, from our listeners. So that's, you know, I said I'll ask you that question. Uh, for high school or college students interested in your career path, what extracurricular activities can they do to see if they like what you do? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, extracurricular activities were a huge part of my uh, both high school and college life and I, and remain till date. Uh, so uh, I highly recommend people that are that, that want to to be where I am today uh, to you know build confidence around you know public speaking. I, I was involved in a lot of different public speaking settings. Uh, I competed uh, in high school for the school team. I came to college and was part of the speech and debate team and I traveled the US circuit to, to compete nationally. On it, that was one uh, element of it. Uh, the other one, the others that I recommend doing is a lot of sporting activities, right? So I, uh, you get to meet a lot of more people and you interact uh, a lot as well in those sporting settings, tennis, uh, table tennis, name it, whatever fits your body build, build go for it and interact more and more. Uh, and, and lastly, I, I recommend involving more in leadership sort of extracurricular activities. You will always have student organizations uh, that provide leadership experience and, and develop you for the next stage, whether it be managing your classmates. Uh, so, you know, you have class presidents, you have school presidents, or you may just have a club that just does general leadership. I would highly recommend those sort of extracurricular activities for folks, but not to restrict to that. I think any extracurricular activities is a tremendous add-on on your resume. Uh, and, I personally interview folks uh, for, for jobs and I look for those on resumes uh, because that tells me what the person is capable of doing outside the academic setting and how uh, well laid out they are in their experience. So highly recommend going after any and every extracurricular activity. Yeah, so, that, so that's, that's really good uh, as a, in terms of being well-rounded. But if uh, there was, is there anything specific that, you know, if someone uh, in, in related to biomedical engineering or your career, is there any extracurricular very specific that now when you look back, do you think would benefit? So one thing that very specifically, and again, this could sort of be in that gray area of academic and extracurricular activity. Um, I was involved in a lot of research projects in, on, on campus. So I would approach professors and say, hey, I have downtime and I would like to work in your lab uh, and, you know, learn what you do uh, and sort of help you again uh, in whatever you need, whether it be sort of doing testing on what you're doing or designing the solution itself. Uh, as I look back, I spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, I, as I said, it's in a gray area, so it could even fit the academic bill. But uh, I recommend for people to go and, uh, and take those opportunities on campus uh, in research projects or other uh, projects that gives them the experience, whether it be in engineering or healthcare, uh, to set them up for the next, next level of their career. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great advice, Asad, because I think um, that actually would benefit very broadly, right? Because you're taking the initiative. There are a lot of these types of opportunities. And not always at a pay. You don't get paid for these, but they 
build your resume and they build your overall um, you know career path. Absolutely. So thanks, Asad. I mean, I think that's a wrap for you. But I, uh, you know, if you're just joining us, um, you're on the You Mentor Talk Show. Uh, we had Brother Asad Reza um, at the beginning of the show. If you missed it, no, don't worry. You can always catch it um, on our website or SoundCloud or on the Apple Podcast as well. Uh, next up, we will have Brother Ali Jawad Hashem, who is an actuary that will be joining us. Uh, before we welcome him, a few other things from Mumbai Outreach Foundation. Would like an academy in your city? Just let us know, and we will look into it. Um, and the academies all begin after the the twelve nights of Muharram. Uh, some will begin a little bit later. So. Uh, Brother Ali Jawad, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. Thank you for having me on your show. No problem. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. So Ali Jawad, you're an actuary. And um, maybe many a times when someone, when you ask, when some, you tell someone you're an actuary, they probably look at you, right? Who are you really? So do you get that or do you not get that? Uh, pretty much every single time I tell anyone I'm an actuary. So uh, I must say, I'm quite accustomed, maybe an expert at perhaps answering that question. Okay. So before we get to your answer that you give uh, to get out of jail um, and an, an answer that our listeners would like to listen to, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into a little bit more detail? Yeah, certainly. So as you know, I'm an actuary uh, currently working in the reinsurance uh, space or field. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll unpack quite a bit of that over the next half hour, uh, I studied at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, did a, a, was a bachelor's of economics with a concentration in actuarial science and finance. And I'm originally from Tanzania. I, I did my through to high school over there, and then I came to the U.S. for college. So that's even more impressive. An actuary that you you know you became an actuary coming from East Africa where probably people wouldn't know. So now why don't you tell us, you know, how did you even learn about an actuary or what got you in, into actuarial science? Yeah, so actually, uh, as it turns out, I have two uncles who are actuaries. Uh, actuarial science is a relatively young profession. There's a lot of actuaries out there today. Uh, but I suppose uh, fairly, uh, you know, uh, not, not quite normal to have two uncles who are actuaries, but I did. Uh, I learned about actuarial science from them, just really uh, the, the gist of what it is. And essentially, being an actuary, simply put, is managing risk. Uh, there is a lot of math and statistics involved in it. That's what I initially knew about the career. I've always had a passion for uh, mathematics. I, I enjoyed economics when I uh, took that in high school. Uh, so yeah, that was my early foray into the space, um, explored it a bit more, uh, figured I, it was something that I was passionate about, uh, pursued it in college, of course, explored it further in college. And that was just uh, a bit of a confirmation that I would uh, like to be an actuary. So you said math and stats, um, and I think uh, you know that that was uh, that's that's great. You know, great to great to hear. 
So do you have to have a real passion for math and stats to be an actuary? I, I would say both yes and no. Uh, I mean, certainly it provides that foundation. So uh, perhaps let me uh, quickly explain what an actuary does um, so that I can put in context where math, statistics and other sciences come into play. Uh, probably best to use an example here. So as I mentioned earlier, simply put, we deal with risk, um, risk being uh, an uncertain event in the future that's going to have some form of uh, financial consequence. Um, so how do you manage that risk? How do you quantify that risk? Um, how do you make financial decisions around that risk? And how do you mitigate that risk? So very much around risk management. Uh, but in order to understand that risk, uh, the, the, the past historical experience in the form of data and therefore statistics plays a key role. Uh, just a quick example to bring this home. Uh, let's say a person, uh, uh, someone goes to apply for an auto insurance uh, based on that person's age, gender, where they live, what car they drive, their his, uh, past driving record. But all of that paints a picture around how likely that person is to get involved in an accident uh, the following year, the year after that. An insurance company, and especially the actuaries that work in an insurance company, take all of that information and then based on historical uh, data that we have and different uh, you know, sciences around statistics, uh, convert that the probability of those events happening into a number that then becomes the premium um, that uh, that individual pays. And then there are some other elements as well um, related to, you know, saving up for the policy, etc., that come into picture. Well, so if anyone if anyone's premiums increase, they're going to call you from now on and complain. So that's probably what's going to happen now. Yeah, I, I may just uh, set an auto forward uh, of uh, my number to yours. For folks who aren't aware, uh, Mustafa happens to be an actuary as well. So this is always going to be somewhat interesting in that it's an actuary interviewing an actuary. Yeah, but I'm a student today, so I'm enjoying being a student uh, and really loving it. So if anyone has questions out there, you know, just pop it into the YouTube comment section and we'll take it at the end of the show or at the middle of the show, wherever we can. Um, so you touched a little bit about you know, a little bit about your journey, right? And you know, actuarial science. You, you talked about your uncles being actuaries as well. And in, in past couple of shows that we've had, you know, someone who comes from let's say nursing last week was interesting to see. There's a world in terms of nursing, or there's a world in terms of pharmacy. In actuarial science, is there a similar world out there? Yeah, certainly. And, and that's why it's quite difficult to describe the career in a nutshell. Um, so uh, broadly speaking, there is quite a few practices under actuarial science. Uh, there is the tra more traditional space where uh, that uh, uh, science is practiced, and that's around insurance and reinsurance. Reinsurance for folks who aren't aware is essentially insurance for insurance companies. So an insurance company is going to write policies, whether those are 
you know, auto or homeowners insurance or life or health insurance, write it with policyholders. And then they have an, a certain exposure to certain risk based on the demographic to, to which they have written policies. They need to manage that risk, right? Um, let's think of uh, an insurance company that's writing all of its policies to one city. Um, that city gets hit by an earthquake. Uh, they're going to face a tremendous number of claims and probably go insolvent due to that. So they try to manage that risk by getting into a larger pool of risk, which is what reinsurers provide. Um, so that, that, I would say, is the traditional space. There is the non-traditional space as well. Uh, probably not going to go into too much of that on the call today. Uh, but whether it's at a bank or, let's say, even the government in the form of uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all of these have elements of future uncertainties in events and therefore risk that need to be managed. We, we often hear about how social security is going to run out at a certain point. There are actuarial calculations that go into determining how strong our social security fund and system is today. Um, so at a high level, it's, uh, you know, you have your traditional, non-traditional. Within your traditional space, there's also property and casualty insurance versus life and health insurance. And then there's also pensions. Um, all of these have slightly different uh, feel and, you know, the, uh, the, the, the type of work that you do is, is different. I would say property and casualty is perhaps quite different from life and health and pensions because within life and health, once an insurance company has written out a policy to a certain individual, they have an obligation to meet uh, whatever the, the promises are under that policy for a really long period of time. Um, so there's a, a really long duration over which that needs to be managed. Oftentimes there is a lot of interplay with finance that comes into play over there, which is why I wanted to pick on this point. If uh, folks are interested in uh, something like life and health insurance or even pensions, I would not recommend pensions. It's a bit of a dying industry, uh, but there's a lot of finance that's involved over there. On property and casualty, it's less of uh, finance because uh, policies are re-underwritten or sort of re- um, trying to think of a Another term for underwriting, um, sort of uh, just renewed, right, on an annual basis. Uh, and therefore, the, the uh, length of that uh, policyholder obligation is much shorter. But then there's a lot more of statistics that's involved in property and casualty. So, you know, so oftentimes people have two choices, you know, one choice to make in terms of what career they go and they just kind of land in themselves into it. In your path, it almost seems like, you know, you got into actuarial science, inspiration from your uncles and, you know, actually taking it further at college. But then you had a, you had a lot of choices to make. Um, so how, you know, how did you become a life actuary? 
Yeah, and actually, so I started my career at a consultancy. Uh, part of yeah, I actually never applied to a single insurance company when I was in college. Uh, my thinking then, which I still hold to a certain degree today, was that I, I wanted to be in a space that was very dynamic, where I worked across uh, lots of different projects, got a feel for a lot of different things, uh, which is how I ended up in consultancy initially before making the switch to reinsurance. Uh, when I was at the consultancy, we would work side by side uh, with uh, property and casualty actuaries. There were some folks who would jump over the fence and it was a bit of a fence, right? Because uh, the the way we go about our practice is is quite different. And there are actually separate bodies uh, that govern these two spaces. So life and health is governed by, uh, in terms of the accreditation, I'm sure Mustafa will get a bit more into this in, in just a bit. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, governed by the Society of Actuaries, whereas there's the Casualty Actuarial Society that governs uh, PNC. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was a question. Um, I was still happy with... Uh, what I initially picked in terms of working in life and health, I've always been quite interested in finance. Um, it was uh, a concentration that I took in uh, in college, and that's really how I decided to stay the course with life and health. Yeah, so I think you know you touched on a little bit about the governing bodies, and you know, uh, you know, as um, actuarial science, you know, you 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 are part of the life practice that would be society of actuaries. So when you talk about accreditation, um, what does that mean? You know, of course, that means exams. But, you know, how long does it take for yeah. to be a fully qualified, which you are? Um, how long does it take? Yeah, excellent question. And, and I'll actually take this all the way back to, uh, you know, what do you first need um, in college? Uh, for the most part, uh, a bachelor's degree is really uh, all that you need to be an actuary. Um, there aren't too many actuaries who do a master's program, but there's good reason for it because there is this series of exams and what we call modules, modules being sort of e-learning courses with assignments at the end um, that everyone needs to take. Uh, there, once you complete a certain number of exams, you become an associate. That's, that's to say, okay, you know, you, you know the basics of actuarial science. Uh, once you become an associate, it's almost like picking another concentration uh, because then between becoming an associate and what's called a fellow of any of these two bodies, uh, you have to concentrate in one of numerous different areas and really... Uh, deepen your understanding of uh, of those areas. For me, I took an investments track, uh, again, investments related to actuarial science, uh, and this goes back to my interest in finance. In terms of how long all of this takes, uh, most uh, students take uh, some of their exams while in college, but it, it, it takes a, a good four to five years if you are good about uh, and diligent about going through your exams to become a fellow of the Society of Actuaries. The final thing I'll say is uh, 
it's it's today it's almost non-negotiable to get to that fellowship. Uh, you could have gotten away with just being an associate in the past, but if you really want to have a rewarding career, if you want to make an impact, if you want to be recognized as an expert, you have to get to your fellowship. Yeah, and I think uh, you know that's in, that's very good to know. Um, you know where are you thinking, and and is that kind of where your prediction also is in terms of demand and supply, um, or um, is just uh, it's it's kind of where people are coming out of college with exams or such. Yeah, and that's an excellent question. So uh, it's a very very healthy industry. In fact, I was I just came across a, a CNBC article. I think it was Bankrate.com. Um, that went about uh, ranking uh, about 160 different uh, college majors and actuarial science came out as number one. Um, I've seen actuarial science pretty much always be in the top five to top, top 10 in terms of uh, uh, careers to, to pursue. One of the reasons is the job stability. Uh, there is healthy demand for it. Um, there is a, a good supply. I, I would say uh, if we are considering Canada and the U.S., Canada has some excellent actuarial science programs. Uh, Mustafa can probably speak a lot better to Canada. He studied in Canada. Uh, they have really excellent programs. They produce a lot of actuaries. Uh, perhaps they don't have as much demand over there, not to say it's not there, but then you have a lot of Canadian actuaries who who work in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. has just so many insurance, reinsurance companies, consultancies, uh, that there's really good demand, um, very good job stability. The final thing I'll note here is I would say there is a low risk of uh, a profession like actuarial science to be uh, replaced by robots. You know, no numbers are numbers, and you can argue, well, why can't a, a, a machine process that those numbers? But we don't just deal with numbers. There is the layer of managing the risk and actuarial judgment and essentially uh, applying your thinking to what you do with the numbers. And that's what actuaries really do. So you touched on two things that I probably want to uh, harp on a little bit more. Um, the first one being, you know, you talked about schools in Canada versus schools in the U.S. Um, in some ways, is there global mobility? Uh, there, sorry, were you going to... Yeah, no, that's my, that's my question, yeah. Yeah, excellent mobility, um, uh, perhaps more so with other professions. Uh, so certainly moving between Canada and the U.S. is very, uh, very straightforward. Uh, Canada has its own actuarial society, its own set of exams, but uh, those exams are very similar. So uh, very easy to convert uh, a Canadian accreditation to a U.S. one. Um, equally uh, straightforward to, let's say, if you move to the UK, where there is the Institute of Actuaries, uh, sure, you may need to, uh, I actually don't even think you have to write a paper, you know, it's, it's uh, um, some sort of a seminar, etc. to go to. Uh, th there are certain elements you need to do, but it's not very difficult to transfer your accreditation to the UK, 
the body in the UK governs a lot of, uh, um, you know, actuarial, uh, a lot of other countries. So actuaries or, or students pursuing actuarial science in other countries often take uh, the UK uh, path of uh, exams. But then there are also quite a few like in the Far East, Asia, that follow the Society of Actuaries, for instance. So let's, yeah, overall, very good mobility, I'd say. So let's take a complete step back, right? So, um, you know, in terms of your day-to-day, -day, right, if we talked about the profession, we talked about the risk-taking and such, you know, how would you describe your typical day or, you know, you know, in terms of when you go to the office, how what is what does a typical day look like for an actuary? Can I say atypical? It it really depends, right? Um, and and that's what I find most exciting about being an actuary. Sure, you you deal with a lot of numbers, and uh, you should have an analytical mindset. I would say that's probably uh, the the number one. Uh, requirement to truly enjoy being an actuary, uh, but you also deal a lot with human behavior uh, because uh, you are managing uh, uncertain events in the future that's generated and that that humans are exposed to. Um, so there's a a really big human element. Uh, probably the the reason why I uh, initially decided to be an actuary and then also. Uh, feel quite comfortable in what I do because what insurance um, I know within certain circles and depending on what you're looking at uh, it can have a bit of a bad rap uh, but insurance really makes the society more resilient um, we don't need to look any further than what we have experienced in the US in uh, you know last year for instance with the hurricanes um, you know, we have all the wildfires and all uh, insurance and reinsurance companies uh, take have taken a, a big hit to their financials. But that's why they are there. You know, th there's the good years and then there's the, the not so good years from a company's perspective. But at the end of the day, we're making the world more resilient. We are allowing people to bear economic losses better and not have lives get derailed. Uh, because of these events. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Alijawad. So I mean, we have a few more minutes to go. If um, anyone has any questions, you can always pop them in into the comments section and we'll try and take them. But for the time being, we'll continue on. So, you know, if, uh, if I were to completely take a step back and uh, look at our religion, um, you know, how has that helped you on your road to success? Uh, it's it's uh, probably formed my, my core um, and at least in terms of how I think about things. So one of the things I vividly still remember is uh, when I was growing up, my mom would say, I, I don't really care what you end up doing. Just make sure whatever you do, uh, you're serving humanity. That really stuck with me. Um, and to be honest with you, early on in my career, I pursued actuarial science because I had the passion. But oftentimes I would ask myself, how am I really... Uh, contributing to humanity uh, and sometimes it's a bit difficult to see that because sometimes what an actuary does is a bit more um, in the back office and not to say 
there isn't the interaction with, with others and, and working with others. It really just depends on where you are in your career, what you're doing, just lots of different professions within. Um, but it's something I've, I've gotten uh, more and more comfortable with because I, I firmly believe that it's a, a really important uh, industry. And what I just alluded to, just in terms of making the wor world a more resilient place, um, I would not be surprised. I mean, I, I certainly cannot uh, tell uh, how things would be once the imam uh, comes. Uh, but with what I see and, and the role that insurance plays, it's hard to see world a world without insurance. In a lot of ways, it's in, in a capitalistic world, I often think of it as the most uh, socialist bit because the community comes together through paying premiums and uh, there are bad risks that offset good risks. No, that's, that's, that's really enlightening. So there is a question from the crowd. So I'm going to ask that um, um, now. How would you encourage a current high school or college student who is not familiar with actuarial science to join your field? Yeah, so there's some really good information out there. Um, I think just having this you mentor, and I, I'm happy to um, speak individually to anyone if they have any questions, um, I can always share my details. Uh, there, there are certain websites out there. I would say, why don't you take a spin at beanactuary.org? There's a lot of good information there. Otherwise, I would just ask myself, um, is working with uh, data, let's say big data, and um, having this an interest in uh, a work that's very analytical, is that my interest? Um, and if that's your interest, yeah, I would say, you know, certainly um, research, uh, Google up about being an actuary, talk to actuaries out there. There's plenty of actuaries in our community. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm happy to speak to any individual as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of information um, out there. And, you know, um, so thanks for sharing some of that. And, you know, it's probably a great segue because, you know, on the Umentor website, there is, um, there, there is also a platform that we have created where you, as the listeners, even outside this talk show, can ask questions. And Ali Jawad and Asad and all the panelists that we've had and a lot more, you know, can address some of your questions. So if you go to the website, uh, mojaoutreach.org slash mentor talk, you know, the not talk show, sorry, um, online platform. Or you can also go to mojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future and you land right on it and you can ask questions that you have. So I think I'm afraid we are right against time here. Um, if you have, uh, you know, if you missed the show, you know, you can always catch it on um, SoundCloud or podcast or even on the website. Um, a couple of other sound bites from Momoja. Um, the academy registrations are open. Um, if you have, uh, you know, in any particular city, you know, you can actually catch it on our website. So today's show, uh, we had Brother Asad Raza, who was a who is a biomedical engineer, and Brother Ali Jawad Hashem. Uh, who's an actuary. Uh, we had a, um, a great, great stories from them. Um, and today's show was brought to you by Maxwell Medical. So with that, I'm going to end the show. Thanks both Asad and Ali Jawad for joining and we'll catch you next week.